Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So I personally love springtime, and uh, there's a reason for that. You know, our trees, we have these four fruit trees, and for about four months, they're naked. And all of a sudden, there's this little bump that pops out, and then this little green thing pops out that unfolds. And how that happens, I don't know, but it just amazes me. It's just part of God's splendor. And before you know it, you have something like this all around the house. And to think each year that season starts over and basically all those leaves fall off and that tree in a way kind of dies and then springtime it starts over and it produces all these, all this fruit, all this, um, these apples and these plums and these, um, um, what's the other fruit tree? Cherries. Cherries. Yeah. Cherries. And so if we can get some before the birds get them, uh, they're actually pretty good. And I think of, in the springtime, I think of rhododendrons, you know, it's like this really ugly plant, in my opinion, don't crucify me, I just think rhododendrons are ugly. And then all of a sudden, in the springtime, they just, they bloom and they're beautiful. And the grass is greener and the days get longer, and it's just a new season. Okay. And I'm going to come back to that. I, I shared that for a reason. I don't know what will happen, but hopefully I'll come back. So we've been taking back some territory here at Coastline. Uh, last couple of years, we gave up a lot of territory, and Teresa alluded to the, um, the potluck, and uh, we're taking back territory one potluck at a time, one prayer meeting at a time. And uh, because we're the little church that can, is that right? Is that, that's who we are. Now... For many years, um, my buddy, Pastor Jeff, he would uh, stand up here and he'd use the word amazing. And uh, because I'm a good friend and I'm a pal, I would uh, mark on my bulletin how many times he'd use that word. And then when I'd see him during the week, we would tease each other. And I'd say, oh, look at how dirty that window is. Isn't it amazing? And he would say something about, look at the turn that person made right in the oncoming traffic. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> and so it's just, I took the word amazing out of my vocabulary just because we, we used it so much. But when I think about the territory we're taking back and the potluck and the food that we have and the, the, uh, the reclamation, I, I dare say that it is all together now. It's amazing. Yeah. So I have a friend in um, Texas who uh, I've been in the mission field with, and we talk every once in a while. We talk about potlucks in our congregation and different sermons and the direction the speakers are going. And her congregation is much younger and it's, um, uh, 
how can I say it? Um, they're, it, it's just much, a much younger, and we're a little older, more mature congregation. And their congregation, like when they have a potluck, it's, um, uh, you know, if you see those dominoes, coupons, two mediums for $8, that's what they're going to have at their potluck, you know, and if, it, if you can buy it at the dollar store, that's going to be at their potluck. And uh, 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 she told me a story about someone who brought a half-open uh, box of cold cereal to their potluck, you know. And, and when I look at ours, and I, I just realized how blessed we are. And their congregation, they like to keep things fairly simple because it's a, a younger, newer, newer believers, and they stay in the Gospels and the New Testament. And uh, our congregation's a little more mature, a tiny bit more mature, and um, so we can go a little tiny bit deeper uh, in our. Uh, in our sermons or our messages. And uh, uh, we've spent some time in the last year uh, at different times talking about the minor prophets in the Old Testament, which is something that they would probably shy away from. And we've been studying that, and it's been, for me, the Old Testament is, is really fascinating. And I've shared this before. Things make sense to me when I read them chronologically. So I have an app that, in chronological order of the way things happen, is the way I, I read and study my Bible. And um, it just works for me. It's not right or wrong. It's just whatever works for you. And so there's a, a point in time where you get to the end of the Old Testament and you get to the New Testament, and that's always exciting. It's almost kind of like spring. It's always... <laughs> Like that, um, those trees starting to bloom and the roadies coming into bloom. But um, we had our fair share of warfare um, the past couple of weeks as we were preparing for this Thursday night. And uh, had a lot of issues. And one of them was the sound. We were struggling to get sound. And I didn't want to bother Yoda Jerry. Um, <laughs> because he's got a lot going on. And I was trying to solve this through a group of friends and myself. And for me, it's fascinating to think and figure out how people solve problems analytically, how they approach them, and um, basically um, what their thought process is. And, and during this period of time when we were struggling to get the sound working on the new system, there was one guy who came in and he was very plotting and he was very deliberate and he wanted to talk about each thing he was going to do before he did it. And there was another guy, he was a deep thinker and he's intellectual and he wanted to double and triple check every move he made. And another friend came in and he just wanted to start pulling things apart and putting them together and, and I said, well, that probably isn't a good idea. And so that didn't work out. I had this guy from um, tech support in New Jersey. And this guy is on the phone with me. We're on a video call, and, and we're working through things. And he had helped me set up the projector, and he's trying to help me with this sound issue. And he's very precise in the way he communicates. And he says very few words, and he stays exactly within the boundaries of what he knows. And 
as I was writing this sermon about Malachi, I kept thinking of this guy because him and Malachi, they have that same type of personality, very precise, uh, uses as few words as possible, and he stays within the boundaries of what he knows. And, oh, you already got it. Yeah. Somebody's ahead of me. Nice. So um, we're going to talk about Malachi today, and he's the He's the bridge. He's the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. And Malachi, the name Malachi means my messenger. And so it's 420 BC, and he comes into the scene around the second return of Nehemiah. And I think someone here preached recently about Nehemiah. And so just to paint you a picture of Malachi's Prophecy. I'm going to share this timeline with you just so you have an idea of what is going on. And that does not look very promising. Okay, so, all right. That's, that's terrible. All right. So, I think most of us here know who King Solomon is in the 40 years that he ruled, and he does some great things for a while, and at the end, he blew it. Okay. Israel's divided in half. 350 years go by, okay? And Israel makes these terrible decisions about who they choose for kings. You know, they're worshiping idols. Most of these kings are bad. A few of them are good. A couple of them are mixed. It's basically a long time of bad decisions. And Father God, he gets fed up and he says, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to let Nebuchadnezzar come in. We're going to conquer Israel, and I'm going to take the people I want as captives back to my country. Okay? Seventy years, Israel's in captivity. Finally, after those 70 years, they're released, and they have to make the trip from Babylon back to Israel, which is about 900 miles. Now, I don't know how they traveled in those days, if they had like Uber Camel or Uber Donkey or something like that, but that's a long way to travel to get back to your country. Ezra, Ezra the scribe from the book of Ezra, he leads a second group from Babylon back to Israel, okay? And he's part of this story that we're going to share today. And Ezra is this Bible nerd, and he's this teacher, and he's a scribe, and he has, Ezra has tremendous street cred, because Aaron, Moses' brother, is a, um, Ezra is a direct descendant, so he's got credentials, okay? People are going to follow him. Now, Nehemiah, he returns at 444 B.C., okay? And the, the, the amazing thing about Nehemiah, in my opinion, is that the whole end of the Old Testament, it starts with one question. It starts with one question. King Artaxerxes asked Nehemiah, he says, Dude, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? And it starts this entire process where Something that I don't think we ever touch on enough is the relationship between King Artaxerxes and Nehemiah. 
There had to have been fondness. There had to have been love. Because Nehemiah is his cupbearer, and he lives from one meal to the next. He's, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's tasting the food, and if he doesn't die, the king and queen eat it. So, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's on a short leash. Okay. But obviously, there must have been some real love or compassion or friendship there, because the king, he gives him safe passage. He, allow, he allows his cupbearer to leave. He gives him safe passage. He gives him supplies, timber, and he sends army officers to make sure that he gets there. It's really hard to figure out how long the wall is that Nehemiah built in the 52 days, the work that he did. But can we all agree it was amazing? Okay, it was just amazing. Nehemiah had to be a type A personality. You know, he isn't going to get that kind of stuff done by going up and saying, friend, you're not too busy today. I think you might have some time to spare, you know. He isn't going to get that kind of work done um, by being a passive guy. So he's a type A personality, all right? When I think of Nehemiah and what he accomplished, this sounds really crazy, but does anybody remember the TV series, The A-Team, from the 70s? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay, so there's this guy named Mr. T, right? Yeah. All right? And when I think of Nehemiah's personality, I think of Mr. T, you know, where it's like, pity the fool that doesn't work 20 hours a day. Pity the fool that I catch slacking, you know? So he's, he's type A. He is just... You gotta stop laughing because I'm not gonna be able to. <laughs> and so eventually, on the second trip, he's um, he's angry. You know, he's pitied the fool who brought those Philistine wives here into into Israel, and he's cracking heads and he's pulling on people's beards and he's sending people away, and he's setting things right. And then Ezra, the scribe, and Nehemiah, they have this great revival. And that's what the end here, I can't point to it. The last little green spot is Malachi, and right above them is Ezra and Nehemiah. And those are the walls that Nehemiah built. And so we've got these three guys together at the end of the Old Testament. All right? And Malachi, he comes on the scene. Malachi comes on the scene, and he's like the closer. Okay, he's the closer. He's the bridge from the Old Testament to the New. He's the last prophet. He's like an encore at a really great concert, all right? And the first question that Malachi, speaking for Father God, asked Israel throughout all this is, who is honoring me? That's his question. Who's honoring me? In Malachi 1.6, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You're like a cranky teenager, the way they respond to, to Malachi. You know, they whine and they complain that it's, oh, oh, it's too hard. 
And they challenged Father God and Malachi, and they say, well, where did we disrespect you, and, and when, and how? You know, how many parents have heard that, you know, in their lifetime, right? And Malachi, he's talking to them about defiled sacrifices, okay? And... Has anybody been to Odo Ranch, the four-square camp? Yeah, a few of us. Yeah, yeah, outside of Yosemite. Yeah. So I used to go up there with the kids and my youngest daughter, and we were having this discussion one night about, basically it was about defiled sacrifices, and these kids asked me to explain this to them. And there's an analogy that I use that I still use to this day, and it, it has to do with a steak, okay? This guy is just hankering for a steak. He wants a steak really bad, but not just any steak. He wants a T-bone, and not one that's been frozen. He wants one about an inch and a half thick, all right? And he goes to all the stores, he finds the perfect T-bone, he buys it, and he takes it home, and he puts it in his fridge, and he starts aging and marbleizing it, and he gets all of his favorite spices and he grinds them up and he tenderly puts that seasoning on his steak. And he puts it back in the fridge and he ages it a little bit more. And then it comes the day to cook the steak. And he gets his cast iron fry pan and he gets some butter, the real, the real butter. The stuff that isn't, um, not that stuff that's one molecule from plastic. I mean, this is straight from the farm, okay? And he gets some of that um, garlic stuff from the double-A steakhouse that they put on their, their steak. I forgot what it's called. But um, he gets that cast iron frying pan to the perfect temperature, and he puts that steak on there, and every couple seconds he shakes that pan, and every minute or two, he's flipping that steak over, and he cooks this steak perfectly, okay, perfectly. It's done. Tells the kids and the wife to leave, sends them on an errand, and he sits down with his apron and a fork and a knife, and he starts eating that steak. And he gets about halfway through it, and he's full. I can't eat anymore. He gets up, and he jumps up and down and makes some room in my stomach, man. The steak is too good. He eats a little bit more, and he's done. He's done. He says, oh my gosh, I'm stuffed. I can't eat another bite. What am I going to do with what's left? Maybe I can save it for steak and eggs for breakfast. And then he has this brilliant idea. He says, I'll give what's left of that steak to the church. And to me, there are times when you're speaking with kids where like they totally get it. And I love using that analogy because these kids get it with that analogy. And basically, that's what Father God was saying to Israel. Okay. They're giving with a grudging heart. Their, their, their time, um, it's really a pain. It's difficult. It's the wine and they're complaining about uh, spending time with Father, yet they're expecting his blessings, they're expecting his guidance, his protection, and his love. And this is his response. 
Malachi's response, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that those worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. And so, you know, Father God, he's getting worn out. He's tired. He's just tired of hearing these complaints and these excuses. There's drama everywhere. There's excuses everywhere. People saying, don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know what my schedule looks like? Don't you know the things I've got to do this week? Don't you know who's playing in the big game? Don't you know how good the gossip is in Facebook right now? He doesn't care if you're trying, if you're dying to binge watch some series, unless it's The Chosen. You know, I think you would be okay. But basically, basically, what he's telling us is that I will do my part. Father God will do his part if you'll do yours. And so he's calling Israel, he's calling his people back to faithfulness. Okay? Calling them back to faithfulness. He's calling them back to a form of innocence and a form of purity. Okay? So when I think of innocence, I, I have these two examples I want to share with you. Um, actually, three. The first one that came to mind was when Iris was telling Jerry the other day that he was being too loud. I just thought that was like super, super cute. But I got this little grandson. He's um, two and a half. And um, he was over a couple weeks ago and uh, you know, he runs around, he's just full of energy, he runs real fast and, and runs into things and bounces off and jumps up and he says, Papa, thirsty. So we get out some green Gatorade and we give him some green Gatorade and all of a sudden, everything changes. Everything changes. And he's suddenly beefed up. He's kind of like, <laughs> and he's walking sideways and funny. And he says, Hulk cop. What? Hulk, the green guy, H-U-L-K, C-O-P. And so for like the next hour, he's Hulk cop. And with these imaginary handcuffs, he's running around town being the, being the um, crime fighter. And he's arresting people and he's dragging them upstairs in their imaginary handcuffs. And he's putting them in jail. He's cleaning up town. And the innocence of his thought process, the way he comprehends things, it's just so pure and so clean. And on Easter, we were playing on some steps, and he had this um, fire truck. And there was a ladder that would telescope out of the fire truck. And he was um, extending that ladder, and he was rescuing Grandma he was rescuing Papa, and he was rescuing Mom and Dad from bad things, and kitties, and, and um, I just happened to say, uh, Oliver, your fire truck is green, and fire trucks are supposed to be red. And oh my gosh, it was like this thing that he had to tell me to correct me. He gave me the index finger, and he wagged it at me a couple times. He said, Papa, Papa, my fire truck is green. 
And the innocence, just from that simple interaction, to me is just beautiful. It's beautiful. It touches my heart. It warms my heart. It brings me so much closer to him. I missed that slide. That was the fire truck slide, by the way. Okay. Malachi 3.1. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to the temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you, whom you so who, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 420 years before the birth of Christ, Malachi is prophesying four incredible things. All of them are in the third chapter of Malachi. He's prophesying that a messenger who will prepare the way, who is? And the Lord you are seeking, Jesus, right? Later on in chapter 3, he also prophesies the second coming of Elijah and Jesus. 420 years before the birth of Christ. So much and so little in that one chapter right there. It's incredible. Malachi 3.16 once again, all in the same chapter. Those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance, remember that, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and on the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. I desperately want your names on that scroll of remembrance. I want to be on that scroll of remembrance. And all Malachi is telling us is just repent. Stop cheapening. Don't want your leftovers. Don't want your cast-offs. Don't want the last couple bites, bites of your steak. And Malachi is making this promise. You know, he's a bridge. Old Testament to new. He's, he's the bridge. And he's going to take, we're going to take this relationship with the Lord that is based on law. You obey the law, you're close to the Lord. We're going to take that. We're just going to flip that upside down where you're going to relate to the Lord in love instead of the law. Pretty dramatic new season. Uh, Jerry and the Jerryettes, come on up. So to summarize, summarize, when Father God looks at you, when he looks at your life, when he looks at your worship, when he looks at your heart, when he looks at your sacrifices, will he see the innocence similar to the innocence I see in Oliver? Or I see an iris, or will you see something else? Something less, something less pleasing. A half-eaten state, possibly. That's my question for you. What will Father God see you, see in you, when he looks at you?
Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.